So glad to see every one of you in the house. The Spirit of the Lord is in this place. I know that all of you had other places that you could have been tonight. You can be seated. Just like uh, a few of our regulars were on vacation or out of town and, and occupied tonight, but we're so glad you made it. I know we all could have done other things, but there's frankly no other place on the face of the earth I would rather be tonight than right here in this house. I don't think there's any other place in Baton Rouge where I could go and just feel God speaking to me just like he is right now. He, I believe he called me to this place so he could speak to me tonight, and I trust that you feel the same way. You know, as I was thinking about who's here, who's not, what we're doing here, and feeling this excitement in my heart, I'm thinking about what God must feel like. And as I drive through my subdivision, sometimes you'd be driving along and all of a sudden you just notice that, wow, there's like 15 cars in front of this house. I don't know what's going on. Sometimes you know it's the Super Bowl or something big going on. Other times you don't know what it is, but said something's something big's happening with them. They want a lot of people there to celebrate it with. And I believe God just feels like that tonight. He said, guess, look at those people down at LifePoint that came out to celebrate me tonight. And I believe he's probably going to just join us and, and speak to us tonight. So, so glad you came over to, to be with us tonight. We uh, actually have quite a large group of our church that's traveling. You've heard so much about the, the younger group going to um, Youth Congress. And I know many of you are familiar with that. And uh, it's so important to that group that went. And uh, I heard the other day that somebody announced we had 26 or something people that were going. And I believe Russell pointed out, wow, um, used to we didn't even have 26 people here. And now we just like take a chunk of 26 people out and, um, and we still uh, have church here. Russell, I'm realizing that I didn't uh, stop to um, let these people give here. I need to, um, why don't you go ahead and do that while I'm doing my introduction here, okay? Uh, let me go ahead and pray for the offering right now. Dear God, thank you for bringing these people into the house. Thank you for prospering them, giving them the jobs they have, giving them the blessings they have. They want to give it back. Some of them have given online already. Some of them will give tonight. Some will give this week. Bless all of them right now in Jesus' name. <coughs> so why don't you just uh, come on up and um, make your way here and give those of you that are going to be giving tonight. So sorry for making this a little bit awkward for you. But we can uh, send away 26 people to uh, Youth Congress way across the, the country and still have quite a service here. So I do want you to, uh, the, the Youth Congress, for those of you that haven't been, it's a really, really special time. Many years ago, I believe it must have been more than 15 years ago uh, when we were traveling. Uh, my daughter was coming through that age and my son was very young. But we were fortunate to, to go with a large group, and we've been in some of those meetings. And i just tell you, it's a really special time. And I'm, I'm so glad, even though I wish these folks were here with us tonight, shouting with us and, and, um, and, and studying with us. But I'm so glad they're there. And I, wanna, I want you to keep them in your prayers, because that, that time that we were there so many years ago was very special. And I remember very well... Uh, Pastor Anthony Mangan, who you all know, Bishop Mangan, who's been in this place, uh, he was speaking at that very service we were in that night, as long as it goes, it's been, I remember it really well, and that night, he had some prayer cloths, some anointed cloths, and um, he preached about Elisha, and um, he brought some anointed cloths down there that his father, Bishop G.A. Mangan, had anointed, and my son and I, we still have those anointed cloths. I carry mine with me in my wallet for many, many years. I think that's powerful. So that is a special time for them. Uh, so do keep them in prayer. And also we've had some other big developments uh, in the last few days. You all are celebrating Lyra Jane Hannington joining us. And um, we're so excited about that. I do understand that um, Lizzie has had just a little bit of complication and she went back in and maybe overnight at the hospital tonight. So we're going to take some time to to pray for them, uh, sharing their excitement, but God knows how to handle that. We know that's a very intense time when we add a human to a family like that. So why don't we just take a moment right now and go ahead and pray for all of our group that's at Youth Congress and also for Lyra Jane and the, and the Hannington family uh, before we get going tonight. 
Dear God, we just thank you for allowing every one of these uh, people in the group to go to Youth Congress. I know that was a sacrifice, God. You worked it out so that they would be able to, to get the time off and the finances to go there. What a sacrifice to take that much out of their life. But you are going to speak to them. We just pray that you'd move on every person there. Move on those from life point. Change their lives, God. We know that this can make an impact on their life. Let it be done. Thank you for sending Lyra Jane into the Hannington family, into the Hill family, Lord. We know you have special plans for her. You just sent along little circumstances to keep our attention, God, and just to cause us to call out to you. So we're doing that right now, God. We know you have all that under control. Just go and touch Lizzie and Lyra Jane and Brendan right now what, where they are, God, and, and touch their hearts and touch their bodies right now. We ask that. We believe it in Jesus' name. I appreciate the opportunity to um, speak to you just for a few minutes this evening. You hope it's just for a few minutes. Um, and, and I do um, want to say what an what a exciting time it was Sunday when um, Jeff Powell spoke to us. What an amazing guy, talented guy, anointed guy. He, he brought the word. I enjoyed that. I'm so glad that God um, sent <coughs> the, the Powell family to be with us. But I believe God has spoken to me about a topic that is really uh, probably an extension of what Jeff was speaking about. And I believe the last time I spoke to you, it was only a couple weeks ago. Uh, and I tell you that I was preaching something that God had been talking to me about for about six months. Uh, not so much tonight. I just found out that Laura Jane was coming this weekend. We just found out that everybody was going. So he's only been speaking to me about this since uh, like Monday morning. <laughs> Nonetheless. It was powerful. It changed my life already, and I'm hoping before we leave tonight, it can change yours as well. Jeff spoke to us about seeing ourselves as God sees us rather than what we see in ourselves. And he talked about the, the caterpillars and the butterflies, and sometimes we just see ourselves in one way, not nearly like we should, but God sees us in a totally different way. And... I'm just seeing uh, Miss Sherry right here. Came all the way from Colorado to be with us tonight. <laughs> Miss Sherry, so good to see you. We are just ecstatic to have you with us tonight. Jeff was telling us that it's so important to not look in the mirror. We need to look in the mirror, but what we see is something totally different than what God sees. And he talked about getting up and going to be all that God has called us out to be, not being afraid or not being timid or slow to do that. And tonight, I want to challenge you to keep going and to pursue the you that God sees and to refuse to be just the person that you see when you look in the mirror and refuse to look back, but to look forward and to keep going and to pursue those things that God has for you. I want to begin tonight uh, with a passage in Genesis. It seems like pastor's been preaching from Genesis a good bit this year, and um, the more I'm digging in here, the more stuff I'm finding, and the more God's speaking to me about this. So we're going to go back to Genesis tonight. I'm going to start in um, Genesis 19. And actually, the, the passage I want to read in Genesis 19 is about a topic that most of you have heard about over the years, Sodom and Gomorrah. It's a pretty tragic story, one that we all have heard of. And I want to read a good bit of this scripture here, but before, <coughs> before I jump into 19, I want to just reflect back on 18 just for a moment. And, and basically, uh, chapter 19 opens up with Sodom, uh, Lot, sitting in the gate at Sodom, and some angels come and talk to him. And we're going to talk a little bit more about what happens there. But if we back up to chapter 18, this is about three angels that came uh, and appeared unto Abraham. And we're not going to take the time to go all through 18, but just suffice it to say, three angels came and appeared unto Abraham, and they spoke to him, and they did a lot of amazing things that we need to, to, to talk about another night when we have more time. But the short of it is, this in this visit was where the three angels told Abraham uh, that he and his wife, who were very elderly, were going to have a child. And they were shocked. And, but 
very amazing time that these angels had with Abraham. But after the angels um, completed what they came to do and they talked to Abraham and Sarah, and they laughed a little bit, Sarah did, and then she repented, and then she said, oh, well, maybe that really is what God's going to do. And they had their time. Then the angels moved on, and they were about to head toward another place. They were about to go down to Sodom, towards Sodom. And so what, what I want us to pull from 18 here before we jump into 19 is that Abraham, he was visited by the angels. The angels were on several missions right here. Abraham heard what they said. He was listening. And then Abraham, um, in, in chapter 18, verse 22, it says, And the men, that's the angels that had appeared unto him, and the men turned their faces from thence and went towards Sodom. But Abraham stood yet before the Lord. And Abraham drew near and said, Wilt thou also destroy the righteous with the wicked? Peradventure there be fifty righteous within the city. And so we heard, many of us that have studied this, uh, you know that, that Abraham started negotiating with the Lord. And he said, oh, well, if I can find so many in Sodom that will turn from that wicked way and serve you, will you spare the city? But it's very significant that Abraham knew these angels were headed towards Sodom, and he stood there, and he checked up, and he talked to God. And, and you'll see quickly, I think the reason that was so important to Abraham was because his nephew Lot was right in the middle of Sodom. So let's go ahead and, and begin reading in, um, in chapter 19, and I will read quite a few verses here. This is a, this is a really heavy topic, but uh, let's read through it, and then um, I think that we can, we can pull some stuff from it that's going to be important to us. And there came two angels to Sodom at even, and Lot sat in the gate of Sodom, and Lot, seeing them, rose up to meet them, and he bowed himself with his face toward the ground. And he said, Behold now, my lords, Turn in, I pray you, into your servant's house, and tarry all night, and wash your feet, and you shall rise up early and go on your ways. And they say, Nay, but we will abide in the street all night. And he pressed upon the, them greatly, and they turned in unto him, and he entered into his house, and he made them a feast, and did bake unleavened bread, and they did eat. But before they lay down, the men of the city, even the men of Sodom, compassed the house round both old and young, all the people from every quarter. And they called unto Lot and said unto him, Where are the men which came in to thee this night? Bring them out unto us that we may know them. And Lot went out at the door unto them and shut the door after him and said, I pray you, brethren, do not so wickedly. This is a bad, bad place that we're talking about here. Behold, now I have two daughters which have not known man. Let me, I pray you, bring them out unto you and do to them as you see good in your eyes, only unto these men, these angels, do nothing. For therefore they came under the shadow of my roof. They came here to visit me, these angels. I'm going to do what I can to protect them. And they said, stand back. And they said again, this one fellow came in to sojourn, and he will needs be a judge. Now will he deal worse with thee than with them? And they pressed sore upon the man, even Lot, and came near to break the door. But the men put forth their hand and pulled Lot into the house to them and shut the door. And they smote the men that were at the house, at the door of the house with blindness, both small and great, so that they wearied themselves to find the door. <coughs> I think it's important just to pause right here. The angels that were in the house, they were powerful. God was in this place. And, and that's going to be really important as we, as we start to take this apart uh, in a little while. But the angels that were there, these men were attempting to come in and do some, some really wicked things. And the two men that, that were staying in the house with Lot, they smote these guys with blindness. This is power than anybody. You don't have to be very spiritual to tell these people had the power. And this was, this was, this was serious. And the men said unto Lot, haste thou here. These, these angels now were telling Lot, get out of this place. And the men said unto Lot, Hast there any besides son-in-law and thy sons and thy daughters and whatsoever thou hast in the city? Bring them out of this place. Get out of Sodom. For we will destroy this place because the cry of them is waxing great before the face of the Lord. And the Lord has sent us to destroy it. And Lot went out and spake unto his sons-in-law, which married his daughters, and said, Up, get ye out of this place, for the Lord will destroy this city. But he seemed as one that mocked unto his sons-in-law. The angel, the God... Lot realized these guys, they have power. They're telling us to get out of here. 
sons-in-law, daughters, get out of this place. And they mocked that light. <coughs> they didn't catch the vision yet. <coughs> and when the morning arose, the angels hastened Lot, saying, Arise, take thy wife and thy two daughters, which are here, lest thou be consumed in the iniquity of the city. And while he lingered, the men laid hold upon his hand and upon the hand of his wife. Now these angels laid hold upon Lot and his wife and upon the hand of his two daughters. Lot had multiple daughters. They said he went out and talked to two sons-in-law and daughters out there. He had at least two daughters that weren't living in his house. But then the man that was in the house, he picked up Lot and his wife and two daughters that were still in the house. And the Lord being merciful unto him, and they brought him forth and set him without the city. Now, there's the, the scripture leaves a little bit untold here. I don't know how it was he got them out of the city. He asked them to leave. He told them he was about to destroy the place. He told them to leave. But then it says he put his hand on them and set them without the city. I don't know if he picked them up and brought them out there, but somehow he got them out of the city. And it came to pass when they had brought them forth abroad that he said, Escape for thy life. Look not behind thee. Neither stay thou in all the plain. Escape to the mountain, lest thou be consumed. Pretty clear instruction here. Look not behind thee, escape to the mountain. And then Lot starts to negotiate with the angels a little bit. And Lot said unto them, Oh, not so, my Lord. Behold, now thy servant hath found grace in thy sight. And Lot's feeling better. He's outside the city before it, it goes up. And he's starting to feel a little better now. Behold, now thy servant hath found grace in thy sight, and thou hast magnified thy mercy, which hast thou showed unto me in saving my life. And I cannot escape to the mountain, lest some evil take me and I die. Behold, now this is a city near to flee unto. Lot wanted to go to this city that was close by. And he said unto him, See, I have accepted thee concerning this thing, that I will not overthrow this city for thou, which thou hast spoken. And then in verse 22, the angel said, Haste thee, escape thither, for I cannot do anything till thou become thither. Therefore, the name of the city was called Zor. Verse 23, The sun was risen upon the earth when Lot entered into Zor. Then the Lord rained upon Sodom and Gomorrah brimstone and fire from the Lord out of heaven. And he overthrew those cities and all the plain and all the inhabitants of the cities and that which grew upon the ground. So after all that, somehow the angels brought Lot and his two daughters that were still at home and his wife. And he brought them out of the city and they were safe. And he tried to get them to go to the mountains. They were trying to stay at a different place. But they were in safety. And then fire and brimstone rained down on the city and totally destroyed it and totally destroyed everybody that was in it. Here was Lot and his wife and his two daughters in safety. Continuing on, verse 26. But his wife looked back from behind him, and she became a pillar of salt. Why did his wife look back? They clearly said, move out, get away, don't look back. After they were in safety here, and they just saw fire and brimstone rain down on this city. Verse 26 simply says, 26 is pretty clear, simple. But his wife looked back from behind him, and she became a pillar of salt. Just for a few more minutes, I'm going to preach to you. Don't look back. Don't look back. It's a pretty simple command right there. It should be pretty easy to follow. Don't look back. If we move from the scripture here, there are many activities that we participate in all the time that require steady, forward momentum. Something as simple as walking, running, cycling. When you're trying to cycle, all of us have ridden bicycles. All of us walk, all of us run. It requires steady, forward momentum. Try stopping on your bike and just hanging out for a couple minutes or even like six seconds and just looking around. You don't do that. Cycling and walking and running and water skiing and snowboarding and stuff like that, it requires steady, forward momentum. I'm talking about not looking back tonight. So when I have tried to learn those those activities. Sometimes when you're riding your bike, why don't you just just keep going a little ways and slow down a little bit, I recommend. But just try looking behind you. You might do it for like just a second, 
But just try looking back for like five seconds. It's pretty difficult. But I tell you tonight, when, when I've tried to participate in those activities and when I've tried to teach my son to water ski, to snow ski, to do things like that, there's a fundamental. If you're trying, if you require steady forward momentum, you can't be looking behind you. One of the fundamentals when you're learning to snow ski or when you're learning to snowboard, you look right out in front of you. You can't look right here in the ground. You can't look back that way. You have to look like right out here because there's a natural tendency that wherever you're looking, look like we got some veterans over here that tried this before. Wherever you're looking, that's where your body is going to go. When you're on the snowboard, you have one board and your body is leaning in all different directions and doing a lot of different unusual things, but wherever you're looking, that's where your body's going to go. And the one, it doesn't have, this thing doesn't turn very well. We, if you look over this direction, that's where it's going to go. But with that being said, I just ask you tonight, which direction are you looking? Lot <coughs> was looking for a city. His wife, for some reason, turned around and looked back. But I just ask you tonight, which direction are you looking? And I'll be the first one to say there are some things behind that occupy us a lot of the time. There's a lot of really big events in our past that we spend a lot of time looking back at. But when we need steady forward momentum, we spend too much time looking back. And I know there's some smart people here. Someone's going to say, sometimes it's important to look back. You're right. It is important to look back sometimes. Emphasis on sometimes. And I'm frankly amused with um, some of the technology that we have today, um, backup cameras in some vehicles that we drive nowadays. Um, I have the first vehicle right now I've ever had with a backup camera, but it's pretty amusing to me. I like it. Um, some of you guys that pull trailers, you know how cool that is when you're trying to back up and hook up to your trailer. Those of you that tried that before, it's really hard when you don't have the backup camera. You got to have like a person out there. They got to be waving at you. I see some veterans over here that know how to do this stuff too. So you have to be have somebody back there and you have to yell at them, come on back, another inch or two. Anyway, it's, it's pretty difficult. When you got the backup camera, it's simple. Just look at the backup camera and you can see your little trailer ball go right up to the trailer. It's easy. So there is a time. That I, I like these backup cameras. And, you know, my wife's car has a lot better camera than mine. I enjoy hers. It has, the, like, the red, yellow, and green markers back there. Mine's just a camera. I can just kind of see back there. And then another friend of mine, he's got one when you turn the wheels, the, the marks, they go angling back like this. They show where you're going to go after you make a turn. That's, that's cool. But, you know, the interesting thing? I only use that backup camera at most when I'm really, really blessed and my wife gives me a lot of turns. I only use it like once a week when I go to back up to my boat trailer. Sometimes about once a month, I only use my backup camera. But <coughs> the front windshield of my truck, I measured it. I did a little calculation. I was trying to figure this out. The front windshield in my truck is 1,500 square inches. It's big. I can see a lot of things. It's really valuable to me. 1,500 square inches. My rear view mirror, 20 square inches. My backup camera, the screen that I like so much, is so cool, 14 square inches. The rear view mirror over here on the side, 35 inches. The rear view mirror over here, 35 inches. All total, that's 105 inches that my vehicle is equipped with for looking back. 1,500 inches I have to look ahead, and only 105 inches I have for looking back. I'll help you out with some high math. I'm not very good at it, so I spent some time, got some help calculating this. So that's like about 5%. So my vehicle, it's only, it's only geared up for me to spend about 5 minutes, 5% 5 of my time looking back. Not very much. I think there's a lot for us to, to focus on here. As we try to to maintain steady forward momentum in our walk with God and accomplishing what the goals that he has out there for us, we don't need to spend a lot of time looking back. It's very valuable to spend just a little bit of time looking back, 
to learn things about what happened back there, what we did and did not do, why those things happened, so we can learn and do better next time, but not much. Abraham was over there in verse eight, in chapter 18. He had seen what God had done, and so he knew about this. He spent a little bit of time looking at the big picture and focusing on what was good and what was bad, but he didn't spend too much time on that. I enjoy motorsports. It's probably an understatement. But um, recently there are many race car drivers that have retired. Unfortunately, I hate to bring up some sad topics here tonight, but unfortunately, Jared's driver retired last year. Tony Stewart doesn't drive anymore. The only thing good about it was my guys don't have to race against him now. But <coughs> DJ's not here tonight. His driver retired too. But Matt Kenseth is a guy that's, 45 years old, he has won, he's not the most popular driver out there, but he's one that's pretty well known and he's, and he's accomplished a good bit. But the thing is right now, try to keep this simple, Matt's about 45 years old, which for a race car driver, that's getting kind of old. Uh, and his contract is up this year and he's about to be replaced by a 20 year old, a really, really good 20 year old. But the short of it is Matt's at the end of his career most, he's doing great. Most people think he's got a lot of time left, but he's about to be replaced by a 20-year-old. But Matt, he's accomplished a good bit in his life. Um, just for example, he was a 2003 champion for the year. He was a 2004 IROC champion. He won two Daytona 500s. He won a Coca-Cola 600. He won a Southern 500. Ron knows what I'm talking about here. The guy, he's pretty much done it all. There's not I see some people that don't like him, but my only point is this guy's done a lot. He's got a lot of milestones. He's done a lot of good things in his life, and he's pretty much towards the end of his, rear, his, his career. So I heard Matt being interviewed, and the, the, obviously this is a topic, and they realize he's probably about to go, and so the people want something to talk about, so they interviewed Matt, and they said, well, Matt, you know, I understand that um, it, it, they're talking about Eric Jones driving your car next year, uh, looking back on your career, are there some things that you that stand out more than others? You have regrets. And Matt said, you know, that's a neat topic. One day I'm going to spend some time looking back. So far I hadn't looked back. He said, right now I got a race to win this week. I got a championship to win this year. He almost did win the race last week, and he's almost won several times, and he might win the championship this year. He, was, he almost won it last year, but my point is, here's a man at the end of his career. He's got a lot of things in his past. They asked him about looking back. He said, I don't look back. And I learned a lot from, from the last thing that Matt said. Matt said people who look back are admitting that they have no future. I'm not looking back. You know, I'm just talking to people tonight, I don't know, maybe in the crowd this size, maybe there's somebody who's had a, a disappointment. Maybe there's something in the past that has slowing you down. Maybe you're not in the career that you thought you were going to be in. Maybe you're not living in the city you thought you were going to be in. Maybe you lost a, a family member. I don't know. It, it's a lot of things that frustrate us in life. You know, I have all these plans for my life, and here I am. I'm doing totally a lot of different things than, than what I was planning on. And we could wake up in the morning worrying about this stuff, thinking about this stuff, looking back. What happened? What could I have done differently? You know, why did this happen? Matt says people who are looking back are admitting that they have no future. I don't want to be looking back. I encourage you. I'm not trying to take anything away from what happened to you. You know, if it was a family situation, I know it was horrible. I, I want to talk to you about it. I want to pray with you about it. I sympathize with you, but I don't want it to take away your future. Don't spend time looking back on that and admit that you have no future. You know, there could have been a couple of other disciples, perhaps apostles that we could read about in the Bible, except for this handicap that some of them had. In Luke chapter 9, verse 52, You know, you students of the word have read that Jesus, when he called his disciples and he wanted to make apostles of them, and he wanted them to do the work of the kingdom, he was walking along on the seashore. And he said, 
come follow me. One of them laid down in his fishing net and followed. He told another one, come follow me. They stopped doing what they were doing. They came and followed him. Well, in chapter 9, verse 50, uh, yeah, chapter 9, verse 59, Jesus is walking along. Back up to 57, verse 57, it says, And it came to pass that as they went in the way, a certain man said unto him, Lord, I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest. God was doing some cool things. Jesus walking around, healing people, doing a lot of stuff, and people were with him, and they said, oh, I'm so excited. This is great. This is fun. I'm going to go with you forever. And he said, really? And Jesus said unto him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. And he said unto another, follow me. This is not one of the one that we know anything about. This is just another guy that he went past, and he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, suffer me first to go and bury my father. This guy was looking back. Jesus said unto him, let the dead bury the dead, but go thou and preach the kingdom of God. And he asked, it's all another guy. And Jesus said, jumping down to verse 62, and Jesus said unto him, no man, well, the, the next guy, I'm sorry, in verse 61, and another also said, Lord, I will follow thee, but let me first go bid them farewell, which are at home in my house. I have a lot of friends. I have a lot of family. I have other things. Let me go talk to them and spend a little time. Then I want to follow you. And Jesus said unto him, no man having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. If these guys had answered the way Peter did, the way John did when they were called, we would be reading about them today. They didn't do that. They looked back. And, you know, frankly, I'm kind of sympathetic. Uh, the one guy said, my father, my, but he said, Lord, suffer me to go and bury my father. So. I, what I see happening right here, this was not some trivial thing that caused the guy to go back. I mean, Jesus said, come follow me. And he said, my dad died. I want to go bury him. And Jesus was nice to him. But basically, he missed out on being a disciple because he wanted but something really bad happened in his life, and he wanted to go tend to it. I'm just here to tell you tonight, I know it's really bad stuff. I can tell you about some bad stuff that's happened to me. Last week, a couple of weeks ago, I did tell you about a few bad things. We're not going to do that tonight, but I'm not trying to make light of it. I know there's some horrible things that have happened to you. You had goals that you were working on since you were can remember, and they went out the window. You had family plans. You had career plans. You had all kind of great ideas. You were going to do wonderful things, and it's not here anymore. You're a different person. You're in a different place than you really planned and thought you would be in. I'm just telling you, don't look back. The Bible is pretty clear here. Don't look back. When God has called you to go up and do something, if he's got you, the fact that you're here tonight, the fact that you are listening to me, the fact that God is speaking to you, he has a goal in front of you. And even if you don't know what that goal is yet, I'm just telling you, don't look back. You're admitting you don't have a future if you look back. Look ahead. No matter what your issue was, it could have been divorce, it could have been disease, it could have been career failure, it could have been a death in your family, whatever it was, don't look back. Why did Lot's wife look back? I don't claim to know <coughs> everything about the scripture, but I, I think it's interesting and we probably can learn something by digging just a little deeper. She couldn't let go of some things in her past. Some of her children were back in Sodom. We talk about that. Actually, she had at least two other daughters, and she had some son-in-laws back there, and that was a great failure. If they knew that this place was about to be destroyed and she wanted to get these people out, well, that was a huge failure. Maybe tonight, just because that was her family, and so long ago, it's kind of hard for us to, to wrap our arms around that, but the thing that's in front of your eye right now is really up close to you, and that was a huge failure to her. I know you're dealing with some huge failures, but she couldn't let go of that. After she was already in safety, she turned around and looked back. But she couldn't help but wonder, why? Why did that happen to me? Or what might have been? But she didn't realize that God, God called her out for a purpose and that she had a future that was much bigger than what she left behind in Sodom. Are there some things in your past that you are having trouble letting go of? I won't even take the time to go into 
some of the huge disappointments that I had. But when I first started along my career journey, I was going to own a large farm. I'm from a country town where farming is a big deal. And all the cool people in town, they own big farms and they do things. And that's what I was going to do. And I spent years of my life planning for that. And I went to college and I got an education to do that. And then right before I finished that education and just before I got my ag business degree, boom, God just changed my plan. I'll save you all the all the issues. I developed some allergies where I couldn't go and do that work anymore. And I met this lady from Baton Rouge who, and it worked out really for me to live in Baton Rouge rather than go back to Vidalia where I had set up for the farming operation. But my point is, from the time I grew up in this little town, watching these farmers, wanting to be one of them, and I finally met these people, and they worked me into the operation, and I was going to get my chance. I was going to get my farm. I was going to get started. I was going to do my thing. And then, and I went and got my education. And just when I was almost to finish it, my ag business degree, boom, that door was closed, and I didn't go there. Fortunately, I didn't spend all my time looking back at that missed opportunity. And today, I don't really care. Most of those guys that did what I was wanting to do, they're broke. They're, they, that's not a cool thing to do anymore. God knew that I didn't. But I'm saying, I'm so happy that I didn't spend all my time looking back. I did try to learn from that. I did try to take some things away, but mostly I spent my time looking ahead. I said, you know, God, he put that dream in my heart, and I almost, I almost made it. Well, I bet he's got more dreams right out here. I bet I can make one of them. One of the fundamental traits of very successful, high-level athletes is a short memory. A quarterback throws an interception, and the guy on the other team that catches the ball intercepts it and he runs and he scores six points all in one play. It doesn't even take 20 seconds. It's a huge failure for the quarterback. He just gave the ball away. His team had the ball. They were fighting forever. They could make a win, win the game with this one score. They get down in the position and he throws an interception. Boom. The other guy goes and scores for the other team. After they drove all down the field, they were on the five-yard line and he throws an interception and the guy scores. That's a huge failure. That's a huge blow. That feels kind of like some things that have happened in my life. And you know what the worst part of it is? The quarterback, he doesn't even, in those circumstances, he doesn't get to sit on the bench for 14 minutes while the other team's out there churning around and running. The no, they scored on that play. This quarterback, he has to get off the bench, get right back on the field again. And guess what? Now he needs to score even more because his team's seven points further down. This guy has to have a really short memory. He can't be worried about what happened on that last play. I'm just talking to some of you that had really bad experiences, really bad failures. I'm not going to let it define my future. A pitcher is the same way. He throws what he thinks is a really great strike, and some guy just hits the ball and knocks it completely out of the stadium, out of the field. And the score goes up by four runs on the other side. And guess what? There's still no outs. He's still got a pitch. They just, all they do then, the only thing that changes is they put a fresh batter up there. The other one, he had him down in the count where he's only up one more pitch to go. But all they do is after that, a home run where they knock the ball completely out of the stadium, all they do is put up a fresh batter who's ready to go. And the count starts over at zero. This guy has to forget about that horrible throw he just made, and he has to throw a strike and throw again. I'm just challenging you this evening to have a short memory. I don't care how bad it was. You can have the worst failure you can imagine last week. That was last week. This is this week. We've got to look forward. Moving along quickly, Michael Jordan and Thomas Edison. Maybe you don't see those two names in the same sentence a lot, but there's some similarities here. These are both household names I could call on. Um, some of you to tell me about those, I won't. But household names, you know about them. But you know some things about them, maybe not everything. We know these men so well for being heroes and successes and just time of our generation. But these gentlemen are known for their failures 
as much as their successes. I'm almost out of time, so I'm going to move quickly here. Michael Jordan, and, and, and I, I obviously am not intimately familiar with these details, but I did just a little research to bring stuff to you that you could remember and can take home and that might motivate you a little bit. Michael Jordan, I just knew he's like, most people say he's probably the greatest basketball player of all time. I don't want to debate that with you. I don't really know or care, but he was really good. He's big. But there's some things I didn't know about Michael, jo uh, Michael Jordan. And apparently there was a, some ad that was out a few years ago that, that where he disclosed all this, so I feel good talking about it tonight as bad as it is. But Michael Jordan, he lost almost 300 games. That's more than most NBA players even get to play in. He lost 300 games. He missed 9,000 shots. You know how long it takes? It takes you a long time to shoot 9,000 shots. How many days does that take you if I ask you to go do that? He missed 9,000 shots. And the most dramatic and the saddest thing that I learned about Michael Jordan was there were many times when his team, the, the coordinator of his team, the players who all had their careers, who all had their 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 egos on the line and who needed to win. They came down, I don't know much about basketball, but the few playoff games I watched, it seemed like the last two minutes last forever. And the whole thing is they get down to where somebody's got like six seconds and they got one shot to make, and that determines who wins the game. Well, there were quite a few times when Michael Jordan's team was in that situation. And having a guy like this around, what do you think his team did? They said, let's give the ball to Michael Jordan. 26 times they gave Michael Jordan the ball when the game was on the line, and they said, Michael, we got one more shot. We want you to make it, and Michael missed it. 26 times they lost the game because of those shots that Michael Jordan took. That was failures. He had to get back up and play the next game. Thomas Edison, y'all know what he was about? Probably so. There's a lot of other stuff that we didn't know about. I know he refined or invented the light bulb uh, in maybe a thousand other different things that he invented, a thousand other patents that he had, but he was a huge failure. You know how many times he missed creating the light bulb? Somebody tell me. They said 10,000 times he tried to make the light bulb before he was successful with it. That's pretty hard to believe. Go research it. But he wasn't upset about it. He said, no. Apparently they asked him, and he said, I just found 9,000 999 ways that a light bulb does not work. And I'm trying to I'm trying to bring dramatic points to you tonight because I want I want you to remember this. But really, I feel like that sometimes. You know, I feel like I got a lot of failures out there. I have to deal with these things every day. But I can't look back. I've got to look forward. Moving along. Let me call that one there. Why don't you go ahead and stand? Um, I appreciate so much our um, singers and, and our musician tonight. Uh, they did an awesome job, and I want them to do that last song again. Um, <coughs> I'm so appreciative for our um, singers and those that lead us into worship here. What a, what a special blessing that is. I appreciate it so much. I would just ask any of you that are move tonight and you want to come down to the front if you want to renew your focus come on down and let's let's pray together and we'll sing in a moment uh, I have just a couple other things I want to say but I want you to, to, to renew your focus on what God has promised you and what he wants to do in you rather than your last big failure you, you all come on down around the front and let's let's move into a, a time of dedication here a couple of other people that I want to tell you about while we're going in that direction. King David and Apostle Paul. These are two men that you know so well from the scriptures. David, I, I hate to say this, it troubles me, but I have, to, I have to get the point across to you tonight. David was a murderer. He facilitated a man's death, and David was an adulterer. But he refused to look back at those parts of his life. He said, I've got too much else that God wants to do with me. I can't be distracted. That was horrible. I, it, it troubles me even to say those things, but I've got to look forward. And so the things I know about David, I frankly had to go check these facts to make sure I was correct on them. The things I know about David is that he killed Goliath. 
I know about him being King David. I know I've heard sermons and I've spoke before about the spirit of David. I know that David wrote most of the Psalms. I know that the Bible says David was a man after God's own heart. This is the man that had those big failures I told you about. Paul was a murderer and a blasphemer. We know Paul very well. Paul consented unto the death of Stephen the martyr, and he was a blasphemer. He, he says this himself, yet Paul did not look back. He had a very short memory. Paul did not write much. Paul wrote most of the New Testament, but he did not write much about his failures. Paul focused on changing the lives of every person he came in contact with. In Philippians 3.13, Paul wrote, Brethren, this is how Paul was able to do it. I count not myself to have apprehended, but one thing, forgetting those things which are behind me. That's what I want to do. Forget those things that are behind me. I press toward the mark for the high calling of God. I'm looking forward. That's what Paul did that allowed him to overcome those huge failures and accomplish what he accomplished. Paul realized that there was a great work to be done, and just because God brought him through those things didn't mean that's who he was. That didn't define him. The, the song that they sang tonight, and I, uh, it's an awesome song. Thanks so much for sharing that with us, and I want us to, to sing together. But, you know, in the Bible days, sometimes it took a mountain that they couldn't cross. Sometimes it took a desert that they couldn't cross. Sometimes it took a river that they could not get across. And that might have been deemed as a failure. But this song says sometimes it takes a mountain. Sometimes it takes a desert. Sometimes it takes a storm for God to get a hold of me. So I'm just telling you, whatever it was that God did to get a hold of you and whatever it is in your past, don't look back. That's done. I'm sure by now you have gleaned every positive thing you can from that failure. Let's don't look back. Let's look forward. And I tell you tonight, in closing, this is not as hard as you think it will be. You think, oh, yeah, well, that's easy for him to say. Forget about that huge failure. I'm going to be, I don't see how. I, have to, I think I'll have to remember that all the rest of my life. But God simply said that he was going to help you with this. And actually, in, um, in Deuteronomy 30, I'm not going to take the time to go there and read it, but last week or two weeks ago, I believe it was, that we talked about Deuteronomy 28, where the Bible says, if you shall hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God, all these good things are going to happen. If you shall not hearken, all these things are bad things are going to happen. But in Deuteronomy 30, it says, if you turn your heart back, then God is going to restore all the things that you lost. So I'm just here to tell you, if you think, wow, you know, because of that failure, I lost four years of my life. Because of that failure, I missed out on one important person that was going to change the rest of my life. I missed out on one, I missed out on the farming operation that was going to define who I was and what I'd be doing until I died. But guess what? God restored me, and he gave me things that I didn't even know about. In closing tonight, I just want to use another really simple example to help you, to help you move forward and not look back, one of the I, I'm a, I'm a simple guy and uh, I'm, I'm amazed with basic technology that they share with me nowadays. But the GPS is a favorite of mine. It's amazing to me still. But most of us have those on our phone now, some in our car. But simple scenario: if I were to press in my GPS tonight, carry me to New Orleans. I suppose the GPS is going to tell me, okay. You can go down uh, Airline Highway here, and you'll hit the interstate, and you take 10 and go down there. Or if you want to, you can go down here to 621, and you can turn over there and go. And it gives me like three different ways to get there, and I can choose which one I want to go. And so if I get out here and I choose to go down Airline Highway, and I get going down the road, and I'm listening to my music or talking or something, and I'm not paying attention, and I run past the turn, it says recalculating. And then it says, please make a U-turn. And then if I'm still talking and I'm still not paying attention, it says, please make a U-turn. And then if I go a little further, it finally runs out of turn. It says, please turn right. And if I look, it says, it's trying to get me to make the block and go back. And it says recalculating. It says recalculating. But jumping to the conclusion here, you know, my, my, 
my GPS has told me all kind of things before. Once, once when I was in Lafayette, I must have been on a new road or something. I was going to a deposition, and I was just barely on time to get there, and it run me out there, and it said, park your car and walk. I'm as serious as I can be. It didn't know about the road. It said, stop and walk. I'm dead serious. So far, out of all the strange things that my GPS has told me, it has not once said, you cannot get there from here. Go back to life point where you started and start over. You cannot get to New Orleans from here. Never did I hear it say that. Go back to where you started, press the button again, and see if you can keep your mind on your directions now and do better next. Never once has it told me that, and neither has God told me that. He has never told me, you cannot get there from here. You are so far off course now. You have mi- I gave you three instructions. I told you U-turns. I told you right turns. I told you stop. I told you do all kinds of things. You missed every one of them. He never told me yet, you cannot get there from here. All he says is, recalculating, I'll give you a new plan today. I'm just here to tell you, I'm really, really, really sorry. I, I wish I had, and I do have some time. I want to know about the failures that you've had in the past. I want to share mine with you. I want you to pray with me about them. I'm so sorry about those things, but I'm just here to tell you. Don't tell me too much about your past because I know you have a future. I don't want to hear about your past. I want to hear about your future. My walk to the top of the mountain with God. He didn't tell me, go back to Vidalia, back where you started, where you had those dreams before you got off course. Go back there and start over. He didn't tell me that. My walk with God to the top of the mountain and reaching him and doing all that he wants me to do, it does not start back there. It starts right here, right now. So I just ask you, I I appreciate your attention tonight. I hope I've said something that, that you can carry home with you, but I just hope that you can focus on your future and don't look back tonight. Spend just a moment dedicating